you're selling your business or part of your business, you've got advisors and lawyers all around telling you what to do, setting your deadlines, but there's a whole load of questions that they don't answer or that you don't think to ask. And that's what we're talking about here. These are the big questions facing people who are selling a business, but the questions that don't get asked, perhaps because they're embarrassing or tricky or uncomfortable, or because people just don't think of them at the time. I'm your host, Richard Dyson, and I'm joined by two very different experts on the topic. First, we have Rachel Bridge. Hi, Rachel. Welcome. Hi, Richard. Lovely to be here. Rachel, uh, you're an author of eight books on all aspects of business creation and ownership. Uh, You're also a prolific journalist and speaker. And of course, for nine years, you you were the enterprise editor of the Sunday Times. And probably fair to say that you've interviewed more entrepreneurs than anyone else in Britain. (laughs) Probably true. Uh, We'll be getting tons of insights from you. Thank you. But we have another expert with a different but equally unique slant on the topic. And that's Andrew Towers of Casanova Capital. Andrew's a wealth planner specializing in working with entrepreneurs throughout the process of an exit and beyond. Uh, So, Andrew, you get to see uh, entrepreneurs at these acute crunch moments in their lives. And of course, it's not just the financial side of things you see, but the emotional and psychological aspects too. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Richard. Um, Hi, Rachel. Really great to be here. Let's start right away on the subject of psychological pressure before the sale. Rachel, what's your sense of what owners go through in the run-up to an exit? So you've got the financial, transactional stuff on the one hand with lots of lawyers and advisors and so on. But what's going on inside business owners' heads? It's actually an incredibly emotional experience. They have started this business from scratch often. They've created it. They've raised it. They've nurtured it. They devoted every waking hour to ensuring it's okay. They've, they've loved it even when no one else did. Their business is essentially their, their baby. Um, now, even if it logically makes sense to hand it over to someone else, it's incredibly hard to do. They are just so bound up with it. Um, and it's just taken up so much of their life. It's it's really, really hard experience to hand over. And the business isn't just the product or service. It's the employees too. It's it, Often it's like a family. It can be incredibly hard just to walk but in, away. It, in practice at this stage though, because you know they, they are in the run-up to the sale, so they're probably under a great deal of pressure for the business operation to continue very successfully and to meet numbers and so on. Um, are, they, are they engaging with that impending change or is it just something that's kind of looming? Well, it's interesting you should say that. I've just spoken to an entrepreneur who's just actually gone through the process of selling their business. But they said, actually, they should have sold it two years ago. Um, But they were just so frightened of what lay ahead, of what it would involve, of what the unknown would look like. They just were very, very scared about trying to sell it and doing it in the right way and making sure that they they sold it to the right people and got the right price and, and didn't you know forget anything important. Huge fear factor. Um, and that was literally kept them, you know, not doing anything for two years. Andrew, I know you've spoken about this issue of psychological preparedness. What's your take? I suppose, I suppose, Richard, I mean, um, Rachel touched on this, an element of the guilt, but it really depends on the stage where the business owner or key stakeholder is at um, in terms of the actual process of when they've actually exited or whether they've exited before, um, because that is really instrumental in terms of what they do next and and in terms of kind of how the process evolves. 
Um, so, for example, a, a serial entrepreneur who's been through this process a number of times will deal with the process very well, and it's and it can be very cutthroat. Whereas a business owner who has been in the business, and as Rachel mentioned, who may have um, been part of the business for a number of years, then the emotional and psychological aspect of exiting that business is a lot, lot harder. And it's those conversations whereby we can actually start to open up some of the things that they want to do afterwards um, and understand what the rationale is for them exiting the business, um, which are really, really crucial in terms of what happens next. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, let's move on now to when the deal's done. Um, and of course, this can look really different uh, for, for, for different sorts of exits, couldn't it? You'll have owner managers staying on, for example, through an earnout. Uh, some will be leaving immediately. Others may have released just a small fraction of their equity. But what are the big issues here, again, on the emotional side? Uh, Rachel, what's your sense of, at this point, what people are experiencing? Well, at this point, I think they are very different, obviously, whether they have decided to stay on um, or leave. If they've decided to literally leave, um, they, they feel very guilty, actually, um, because they're leaving the people behind. All these employees that they have nurtured, that they've been with literally off 20, 30 years sometimes, they're walking away. They're saying, bye, I've just, you know, sold you off and off I'm going now and I hope you'll be fine. And, you know, I've got this big pot of money. Um, very, very guilty, very, very worried. Um, equally, if they've decided to stay on, um, perhaps they've sold the business and they're staying on to run it for a while, um, that's also fraught with difficulty because their employees have trusted them that they're making the right decision. Hi, guys, we're, we're hitching our, our carriage to this train and we're going off in this direction. It'll be fine. And then they have really got to deliver on, actually, will it be fine? Because there's a different owner in charge now and they could have very, very different ideas. And there's that whole loss of control that the, uh, that the entrepreneur has about where is this new train heading? And it's not just them that's on the train. It's all the employees that they have promised it will be fine. So there's a huge huge conflicting emotions going on there and it, it's really hard for people to deal with and i guess it's if someone's a serial entrepreneur presumably they're quite familiar with some of these sort of shifting relationships but but i guess these are acute problems where for example you've got a, a business say which has been you know several decades work and there's not been an experience uh, up to that point of working with investors or partners or others this is just completely new is that is that right? I guess they're in a different category, slightly more more alarming, perhaps. That's right. It is. I, I'm sure it gets easier with time, but certainly the first um, sale and possibly the second, because it's it is. You know, you have got these people that you like and you trust, because that's why you employed them to work in the business, um, and they are literally putting their livelihoods in your hand, um, and that is really hard. To deal with, even if you're confident that you're making the right decision for the business um, and for the, its future, um, you are taking a lot on to manage all their expectations and how it all plays out. Um, and that's even putting that's you know that's before you even consider how you are fitting into this new arrangement. And Andrew, just to bring you in here. Um, Rachel's spoken about employees and colleagues, but 
Uh, what about family businesses? Well, the family business element adds a different dimension to simply a, a business owner with employees to consider. Because when there's family members either involved or, or maybe potentially could be involved in the future, then the elements that Rachel speaks about in terms of guilt definitely come into play. Um, and it's then almost an assessment from the business owner to see, first and foremost, like what, what potential offers could be on the table, what the business valuation is. And secondly, whether they see anyone within the family unit to actually take over the reins. And crucially, if not, then this is where the actual process to start a potential exit from the business begins. And, and, and this can be extremely difficult for a business owner who, who maybe feels that they're taking away potential future for, from some of their children um, and, and continuing the actual the family business. So, so this is extremely emotional from what I've seen. And I've seen a process go almost over the line, a business that we worked with in Wales, which was a nine-figure sum. And there were two other stakeholders, smaller stakeholders, family members, siblings. And um, right, right at the wire, the business owner couldn't do it. He, he couldn't sell. Um, so he pulled the plug because he, he didn't want that guilt to take away the opportunities for his family, for, for, for members of his family. And, and he's um, one of his sons in particular, who he felt could, um, could take over his role. And um, so, actually, so, so it's, it's, it's extremely, extremely pressured and um, emotional at this stage. And in a nutshell then, is it because it's, it's down to the, the factors of how the ownership of the business is spread about the family and also how, many, uh, how much interest there is among family members to carry on? So these things are very difficult. And, 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 and Richard, I mean, on, on that point, so in this in this particular, with this particular family, I mean, the, the two other stakeholders, the two other siblings, they had smaller stakes in the business and their, their drivers to exit were completely different to the actual key stakeholder. Um, and, and their drivers to exit were that they, they didn't want any element of the business anymore. So they, they wanted to kind of pursue other activities and hobbies, um, whereas the business owner, his pure passion was the business. And that's, that, that, that's been his life for 30 odd years. Um, so, yeah, it, it's understanding the dynamics of each of the different um, family members, really, I suppose. And Rachel, just coming back to you on, 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 on another aspect of this. Could it be could it be another scenario involving colleagues, for example, where your loyalty to the colleagues is actually a factor in pushing the sale forward because you you know you're going to be a beneficiary of a transaction, but also some of these others are too, and they may have their own personal or family needs for that money as well. So you're you're trying to weigh up that positive outcome potentially as well as well as some of the negative ones that you've you've outlined. Yes, that's a really good point, Richard. Um, and actually, that um, can be a great way of, of actually sort of going through this transaction if you are in it together, as it were, with perhaps your senior management team, and that you are all going to benefit from doing this. That's a great way of actually sort of pulling together. Um, but indeed, if, if they're all sort of itching to, to you know, get, um, realize their, their, their stakes, then you've really got to make sure you're doing this properly and selling it to the right people in the right way. 
huge pressure. But again, I guess it comes back to this thing of, of preparation. Somehow, if you are going to face these anxieties and, and torn loyalties, uh, some of them can be addressed ahead of the sale by structuring it in, in, a, in a careful, thoughtful way. Oh, my goodness, yes. Pre- preparation is absolutely a huge, huge uh, secret to making this right. Um, you've got to have conversations with people. You know, you've got to find out, actually, do your family members want to, to keep being part of this business or actually would they be pleased to leave? Uh, do your senior management team, perhaps they might even want to buy it themselves through an, through an MBO. You never know. Um, you've got to talk to people. You've got to find out. And you've got to do some, obviously, as much research as you can and think about it. Do you want to stay? on and run the business? Do you want to leave now? Does your senior management team want to leave? You can't assume anything. Um, And that's the the key thing. You've got to dig, dig down and find out what is going on in people's minds around you. What do they want to do? You, You can't make any assumptions here. And that's why preparing and having those conversations well in advance is is crucial. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I totally agree with Rachel. Um, in, in terms of the actual valuations of businesses, though, this is where some of the deep discussions we will have at this stage when we're fortunate enough to be um, in front of clients at this stage of the journey. Um, this is where we need an understanding of what the actual valuation of the business is likely to be. OK. Um, and at this point, this is where the business owner will know whether that number is right for them. And if it is, then the, the process can start. But if it is not, then it may mean that it drives them back into the business for another couple of years to drive the, to drive the value higher, which means that they'll be able to exit and be able to sustain whatever lifestyle the business has provided them with. So, so there's, there's a lot of different dimensions at this point that have to be understood over and above just actual the actual valuation, I suppose. But equally, what should have happened beforehand is that ability to play devil's advocate, that ability to ask the right questions, that ability for them to understand exactly what it is or what, why, first and foremost, it is that they're selling and then what it is that they want to happen next. And, 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 and importantly, not just from a personal point of view, but from a family point of view, and also from a, a, a more, more, frequent, more frequently a philanthropic point of view as well. So it's those three elements that really drive um, what happens next. And, and crucially as well is the actual, the time that is afforded to the actual seller after the transaction to just have some time to think. I mean, and one of the things we say to them all the time is not to rush into anything, which is why it's so common for us to have um, balances just left in cash for six months to a year so that they can understand how they feel first and foremost, and then move on to what happens next. And that, I think, takes us on to the next uh, topic that, that I want to address. And, and this is a bit awkward, this topic. And, and I think it's, it's sort of at the heart of what people feel uncomfortable about. Uh, and maybe that's why it's so little discussed, perhaps, especially in Britain. And it's, it's money. It's this whole topic of the abrupt change of circumstances that comes with what could be a very large sum landing in people's bank accounts. Rachel, what, 
over the years, what have people confided to you about this this topic, the the issue of sudden enrichment that, that arises at a at an exit or par exit? Well, one of the key things I think that makes it easier for people is if they are sharing it with some of their employees, perhaps. Um, so, I mean, one of the entrepreneurs um, I know well sold his business and he um, presented his PA with a check for £250,000. Out of the blue, life-changing sum of money because he said, I literally couldn't have done this without her. I mean, that's wonderful, isn't it? What a joyful thing to do. So he was so happy to have done that. And obviously she was pretty pleased too, you know, to share and to acknowledge and recognize the hard work. So actually many entrepreneurs have sort of either informal or formal sort of share ownership schemes. So you're sharing um, the, the benefit, which I think is a really great way of dealing with that whole, oh, I'm walking away with billions of pounds. But actually the money thing is interesting. Um, I mean, take the rich list, for example. Sometimes selling your, your business can literally, you know, propel you straight into the rich list. Some people love being in the rich list and they're sort of, you know, fighting to get on it because it shows you have achieved something. Equally, about probably equal number of people are fighting to not be on the rich list because they feel guilty, I suppose, and embarrassed about just how much money they have made. Because often, obviously, if you're selling a business, it's not just a small amount of money. It could be huge amounts of money. And the shock when you have spent years living frugally um, to raise your business because everything you've earned has gone straight back into the business, the shock between that and getting a life-changing sum of money is huge. Well, I suppose, I mean, Rachel makes some really valid points in, in terms of the, the fact that this can lead to real elements of self-doubt and depression on the back of your life's work. But equally, I think we, we, we should look at the flip side and the positive nature of, of, of things that can happen after an exit. Uh, and where this has been thought through, we've seen business owners help out family members. We've seen business owners set up philanthropic trusts. We've seen business owners help children through university and through studies. Um, we've helped. We've seen them um, mentor individuals in this in the sector of business that they've been involved in. So we've seen like real elements of personal growth on the back of this, um, and this is something that can lead to inspiring the the business owner post exit as well. And and interestingly, it's something that again is quite frequently um, something that they pursue as almost their full-time job post an exit. So it's, it's hugely advantageous for them. I mean, you've spoken there. You've spoken there about the the impact on colleagues, and and uh, and then you've moved on to this issue of of other people's perceptions. So, uh, for those who are not familiar with it, and I'm, I'm sure almost everybody is, the Rich List is basically the UK's equivalent of Forbes magazine. It, it's published by the Sunday Times, and it and it and it lists the the wealth, the personal wealth of individuals in the UK. And basically, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, Rachel, but if your name crops up in there, you can more or less guarantee that your neighbours will be discussing your your net worth um, <laughs> but just to go in on the on on what that might mean at a more personal level some people hate it as you say some people court it um, psychologically are people prepared 
for the change that 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 uh, a, a big capital sum could mean for their lives. They they may not have had that up to the point. They may have been drawing an income from the business, and now instead of that income, they might may find that they've got capital. And what does that mean for them in terms of adjustment? Richard, this this is where it's it's hugely important at this stage for the business owner, for for the for the um, key stakeholder, to actually start to understand what that pot of cash can actually make them in terms of an income, um, capital growth, what lifestyle costs they need, what structures that needs to be invested into. And what I mean by structures is for like structures for tax efficiency. Um, so effectively, we're trying to replicate at this stage um, the dividends and income like salary that they've been taking from the company. So that needs to be replicated first and foremost to support ongoing lifestyle costs. But the psychological shift at this stage, and I touched upon this earlier, the psychological shift for many when they see the cash transfer from their balance sheet, their corporate balance sheet onto their personal balance sheet can be at times significant. I've had people on the phone to me asking me how safe banks are because they're scared that this money is going to disappear. So it's going from having a paper transaction to an actual valuation that's physically in your bank account. And there's almost an addiction in the early days of actually just going online to check it's there continually. So this is where a process of actually working with a wealth manager um, and understanding how the money can be invested, the cash flow that can come from that money, and also how that also links with whatever transfer of assets to future generations or to philanthropic um, drivers is crucial. Oh, they really do need as much help and support as they can get, because what they think they're going to do uh, with it is is very different from, what, in the end, what they want to do. For example, one entrepreneur, uh, she sold her business for, I think it was about 20 million, and she immediately arranged for her and her, her family to go off on a luxury round-the-world trip for three months. Uh, she, she dreamt of this. You know, all those years of slog, this was actually going to be the pinnacle. Right, we've got the money, let's go on the trip. She hated it. Two weeks later, they came home. She was so bored, restless, absolutely hated it. So sometimes what you think you want, you actually don't. And you do need some guidance with that. Andrew, I know you have some strong um, feelings on this because it, it echoes some of the things that you've mentioned to me, which is this lifestyle adjustment that, that there's a, perhaps a sense that people need to crank up their lifestyle. Uh, whereas, in fact, they discover that's not really what they wanted. What What do you see, uh, Andrew, amongst your clients, and and how have you helped or 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 spoken to them about this? So, 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 Richard, this again um, comes down to um, how how quickly a business has been sold, because as you can imagine, a business that may have been in existence for thirty or forty years, they've taken chunks of dividends out of that business on an ongoing basis, so they've already got the lifestyle that they may have wanted to achieve from the business sale. But when we, when we see businesses that sell very quickly, um, where perhaps everything has been invested within the business and very little has been taken out, then we see a shift um, with, with a number of people whereby the lifestyle becomes almost um, a perception of what they think they should be living or how they think they should be living. 
Um, and, and this can cause a number of different psychological issues for them, as Rachel touched upon. There can be elements of kind of sem semi-depression because they're trying to live a lifestyle that perhaps they're not comfortable with or that they think sh they should live. Yes, I think that's a really good point you make there, because, of course, that's what's so surprising and shocking to them, because when they started this business, you know, they were probably on their own, you know, in the in the spare room, at their laptop. You know, when you start a business, you're often on your own, uh, literally or, or, or physically or mentally for a long time. It's a, a one man band, really, that you're you're plowing this lonely furrow. And gradually, as you've gone along the journey, you've accumulated all these people. That's what it is, isn't it? And and suddenly, yes, you're in this. You are sort of running this whole gang, uh, this whole team, and and that can be really quite uh, hard to to get your head around the fact that you are responsible for all these people, and that doesn't really go away. Yeah, I I think a really nice way um, of looking at this for for the majority of business owners is that invariably this is actually cashing out their life's work, okay? And they see the money or they see themselves as simply a custodian for this for this wealth. And it touches on some points I made earlier around the, the, what the power of that money can actually do. Um, and first and foremost, once they know that their lifestyle can continue for the remainder of their lifetime, then it moves into the much deeper elements of philanthropy and doing good. Um, and, and that's where I think the power and purpose comes from for a number of individuals post-exit. People aren't doing this for the money, really, are they? They're doing it for the thrill of a business creation. It's a kind of, it's built into them. It's part of their DNA. These are these these are people with a particular kind of drive and creative energy. I mean, I I, I do see that side, but equally, I think we always forget because of the fact that the headline grabbers are the Elon Musk of this world, um, and the new tech entrepreneurs and unicorn builders. But actually, the business owners that have you know, devoted their life to creating something truly special for the past 20 or 30 years, the drive for them is just to create something fantastic, to create something that they truly believe in, to create something that their family will be proud of, to create something that they're proud of. It's not necessarily about the kind of ongoing energy and transactional basis of you know, the, the, the new modern entrepreneur quite a lot of entrepreneurs are desperate to get that feeling back again i mean it's the ultimate high i think isn't it creating a successful business and suddenly it's all taken away and they ask you know who am i what's my purpose what am i doing and so many of them go back and start another business um either rightly or wrongly um, and because they just miss that so much. And what it's so ironic, isn't it? They spent years building up to the sale of their business, and then suddenly there's this great big business-sized hole in their lives, um, and they, they want to go and do it again. And, and maybe for some that's the right decision, but for others it's not the right decision. You know, they just happen to be in the right place at the right time with the, the, the first business, and you can't necessarily replicate that. And I know in particular of one uh, entrepreneur who sold his business very successfully and has spent 
you know, the past gosh, 10, 15 years searching for the next thing that will fill that hole in his life. Um, and he hasn't yet found it. You know, it's, it's not about the money. It's about achieving something, creating something. And that whole sense of sort of, you know, them against the world, really. Because when you're starting a business, often people think, oh, that's a ridiculous idea. And you're proving that you can do it. And that adrenaline and excitement, that's what people do it for. And uh, it can be very hard when it's gone. And some people are very successful at being serial entrepreneurs and they keep they're basically searching for that next high and that next feeling of, of achievement. Um, but I, I would bet that actually it's the first one that is the biggest and most amazing feeling. I want to end with the last question, please. Uh, both of you have seen close up so many entrepreneurs, including some of the UK's most successful. Um, can you give me an example of one or two of the more surprising questions you've been asked or glimpses that you, you've been given into, into aspects of their lives? Uh, Rachel? Well, I think there's, there's um, two things. I think, firstly, um, the surprise to me is is the extent to which people don't understand what selling your business means they go into this process they just don't have an understanding of of what it all means for example one entrepreneur um sold their business to a private equity firm um which was absolutely the the, the best thing for the business and and he knew it was the best thing for the business and and it has subsequently thrived um but he didn't really see it as selling his business he literally saw it as i've taken on some investors so on the one hand you've got the private equity firm you know buying the business and seeing it very much that that's what they were doing and but the entrepreneur had totally failed to understand that and he was just sort of thinking that you know he was getting an investor in now that's a fairly fundamental disconnect isn't it between two sides of of that that conversation um and that was purely down to not enough preparation not enough understanding not enough conversation ahead of time and I think just the other thing I, that, that does surprise me, uh, just coming back to this whole idea of, of what happens next, is that just that huge sense of who am I now? What is my status? Um, and often entrepreneurs, when they've sold their business, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of coast through the next year quite happily because people will ask them to speak at conferences or they might get put up for awards or they might, people might write about them in the paper. Um, and there's quite a little bit of, of buzz around. But after the year's gone, the next crop of people come up and actually they're they're now on their own. They're truly on their own. And that sense to which entrepreneurs are, their identity is so much bound up with their business. Um, and they perhaps didn't realize it. I think that's the thing. They always thought perhaps that they could just walk away. And I think that's so important for people to understand and to recognize and to put in place support to, to go through that process um, of, of actually understanding, well, who am I now I've sold my business? Andrew, what in your mind sticks out as one of the more surprising issues or questions that you've come across? I, th I think time and time again, Richard, the, the most surprising question is when you think of the huge sums of money that are often involved in these kind of transactions is, is, is that going to be enough? Is that going to be enough to sustain 
my lifestyle for the rest of my life. And it's just helping and un- helping them understand that transition from the kind of corporate balance sheet mentality to the personal balance sheet um, and understanding the different cash flow that can be generated from their personal balance sheet now that there has been that transition. But time and time again, it's always, is that enough? Amazing, both of you, to have your insights. And thanks so much for sharing them with us. Uh, Rachel Bridge, author and journalist, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. And Andrew Towers of Casanova Capital. Thanks so much. Um, no, thanks very much, Richard. It's been, it's been a pleasure. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. And investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.